0: Hello, I'm David Moskrop. Welcome to Open2Debate. To Artificial intelligence is embedded in our daily lives, whether we notice it or not. It shapes how we live, work, and play. Shopping, gaming, healthcare, cybersecurity, traveling, social media, policing, war, and plenty of other facets of contemporary life feature AI technology, and there's more on the way. And while discussions of AI tend towards questions about sentience and robot overlords throwing off the yoke of human rule and taking over, the more immediate and pressing concerns of use, abuse, equity, and privacy still need to be answered. Shaping AI to serve human needs and the public good requires that the community take part in determining the boundaries and ethics of the technology and its use. Determining those uses and limits starts with understanding its applications. So in this episode, we ask, what can artificial intelligence do? My guest on this episode of Open to Debate is Yves Jacquier, executive director of Ubisoft LaForge. OK, let's start with the promise that I want to make to you and to our listeners. I won't talk about video games the entire 45 minutes as much as I want to. I'm going to try my best at least to talk a little bit about video games as they relate to artificial intelligence, but get to the broader issues. So I'm going to practice a great deal of self-restraint here. Uh, So let's start with with this. Artificial intelligence obviously goes beyond the gaming world, but it's an important part of that industry. And it's a massive industry. I don't know if, if you'll know this, but video game industry is bigger than the film industry and bigger than the music industry. So I'd like to start with video games and AI. Can you take me through what Ubisoft uh, LaForge is, what it does and what it has to do with video games? First,
1: um, if you think about any successful company, for example, any successful activity actually, uh, you tend to first solve problems and you first tend to try to find a market, for example. In other words, you try to develop a recipe to create product, services, organization. But at some point in time, your well-oiled recipes start to uh, not, not fade away somehow, but there's always something outside that's cooking, some new innovation that are disruptive in the sense that... It brings new ways of doing things and totally changes the rules and paradigm of such or such industry. If you think about cell phone industry, it has uh, it went through many different changes uh, during the last 15 years, for example. So the same thing goes with video game, and the video game industry has been extremely successful for the last what 20 years. However, when you tend to improve your recipes over time, you might find difficult to reinvent them. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we're doing at La We're trying to take risks. So take new um, technologies, for example, or new ways of doing things and try them so that we can prepare Ubisoft to using them and to take the, the, the best out of that. So obviously there's technical aspect let's say like in machine learning deep learning or of a type of technical concept there's a lot of work to be done to uh, solve problems whether it's access to data uh, new algorithm But there's also a strong dimension on change management. How do you make sure that whatever technology for animators, for example, or for voice creation, or to create interesting behaviors within a game, how do you make sure that um, they're adopted by game creators? And more than that, they will uh, create new amazing experiences out of that. So that's really what we, we focus on. And we do that by bridging the academic world, where you have a lot of new ideas cooking, uh, but sometimes not really practical, with um, the reality of uh, Ubisoft creating games.
0: And what does that look like day to day? So, uh, you know, in a little bit, we're going to get into some of the applications and critiques of AI more generally. But first, I want to understand what it looks like in practice. So, you wake up, you go into the office. And then what happens? You're talking to academics, you're coding, you're running experiments, you're, you're designing things in graphic design. Like, What does that process look like of applying, of taking AI out of the world of academia or wherever you may find it and translating it into, for instance, um, a video game like Far Cry or like uh, Watch Dogs? I, I just to you know, slide in some of my favorites <laughs> or Assassin's Creed for that matter, maybe my favorite of them all. So, just like uh,
1: any uh great endeavor it all starts with a coffee in the morning at least um from my standpoint i cannot really start a day without a strong coffee you know i'm half italian uh, half french of origin so coffee is a fundamental but um then uh, the idea is we spend a lot of time trying to understand what what are the the, the new ideas and technologies by talking a lot to academics. So we're talking a lot to researchers. We have a lot of students also working with us. So they're coming here with uh, a fresh perspective on things. If you think of video games as a sandbox, um, simulations, for example, watchdogs could be a nice simulation for a city, for example. So if you want to uh, work into some, you know, uh, environments that mimic a real life city, maybe doing that into a video game could be a good idea, which means that when we reach out to researchers, we're exposing the kind of problems and and challenges that we face into creating our own video games, while they are exposing us to the latest of the greatest of the solutions that are cooking, let's say for AI. Very concrete examples, a few years ago, we um, had this challenge to have uh, vehicles uh, that would drive themselves into watchdogs. And we were wondering if there were some techniques that we could apply from real-life automotive industry to apply that into, into our games. And the reality is that although we shared the same concepts, we were very complementary. So uh, we worked and discussed with some researchers um, who were actually uh, making uh, pathfinding for drones, and that was a way for us to apply that into into our games, for example. So it's a lot, you know, keeping our eyes open, then trying to start an hypothesis on, hey, where this could help us create greater games, also discussing with researchers to see, you know, how we could work together so that it could improve the body of knowledge, of public knowledge. Are there some problems that they could try to solve with us? And when we agree on something, that's when we start Focusing on prototypes. And the idea is that those prototypes that we are uh, creating, I I do not code them myself, I have a very talented team to do that. Uh, But those prototypes have the potential to help us to create great games, while it also has the potential to create public knowledge.
0: So I was uh, the other day. I was listening to a podcast about Ross Perot. Called uh, an episode of the podcast, uh, the dollop about Ross Perot, and the host was saying that Ross Perot, uh, that that Pixar, nearly became the property of GM. It was it was almost going to be used to design cars, and then it of course ended up being used to to make movies. But that technology can be applied obviously across industries. So what you're saying is that this. Technology is obviously, it it may apply to video games, may be used in video games, but we see it elsewhere then. It is exported into other uses then.
1: Totally, yeah. And if you take any uh, automatic uh, um, car with self-driving functions, uh, before reaching the road, it has made um, thousands of kilometers virtually in an environment where it learns uh, how to cope with obstacles, uh, with people, with uh, other cars. Um, So when we refer to AI generally, um, recently, I mean, for the last 10 years in reality, we refer to what we call deep learning, which is a very specific aspect of artificial intelligence. And what do you need when you want to? to create uh, amazing systems with deep learning for any type of industry, you need either data, a lot of data, Mm -hmm. and, or you need simulations, environments to test things. These are the two main tracks called machine learning, deep learning, um, which is a way to learn out of data. And when you don't have the data, but you have, let's say, environments like, roads and pedestrians and things like that. Then you have another track called reinforcement learning, which is another way to say, hey, I want to reach a certain type of behavior, like driving from point A to point Z, and I will provide with uh, rewards each time the car or the bots or whatever um, rightfully do so. And obviously, the video game industry has a lot of both because we have a lot of data that we that we create to create those experiences we have characters voices animation environments and all of that but we also have um engines and uh, physics simulation and crowd simulation that can also help to um foster uh, such uh, such uh, deep learning and, and artificial intelligence algorithms
0: and, you know, it's truly amazing. I've been playing video games for a very long time. And my first system was a Nintendo system and NES. The first game I remember playing was Mario, th- well, Mario Brothers and then Mario 3. Um, uh, so I've been a part of that evolution and I've played pretty much everything you can imagine. And it's extraordinary today when you play a game and you have been playing a long time and you play on, on an advanced system like a next gen console. Um, how how the physics works and how the sound environment works you know for instance call of duty which is something i play um, with a good headset you can hear and with you know 3d sound you can hear people behind you you can hear footsteps coming behind you you can hear them laterally. you can hear them in front of you the environment um, is immersive it's truly truly extraordinary and and um, i'm wondering to what extent you know ai within the video game industry's goal is to make video games effectively an immersive reality that, that feels, I mean, for lack of a better word, real? Because we've come a long way from 2D platformer games.
1: <laughs> well, it's um, it, definitely, it's, it, there's an aspect of that. However, um, maybe let's take a step back. We see three different, I would say, ways where uh, artificial intelligence can help. In the creation uh, of video games. The first one is to um, assist creators. Um, When you create worlds that are bigger and bigger, or um, it's not only a question of size, it can be a question of variety. Even Mm -hmm. if you don't have uh, that many characters, or that many buildings, or that many vehicles, maybe you want to have um, a fair share of. Of variety. If you think about a crowd, uh, if you feel that the crowd is in reality a mix and match of five characters that you're reusing again and again, like it was done uh, ten or fifteen years ago, then at some point it becomes, you know, less effective in, in, in the experience that you want to give. So, first, if we're able to assist our creators, meaning that we cut the kind of of tasks that are repetitive, uh, we automate a lot of things so that they can go uh, and faster between their ID and the execution. They can also iterate faster to make uh, interesting content. That's the first aspect where AI has proven to be extremely effective.
0: So they're, so they're, you know, they're making, for instance, you know, you a series of different characters is randomized, and and they just the AI does that. So instead of five stock characters, this is just creating as many characters as you please. Is that the idea?
1: That could be the idea, or you can say, let's say I want to to have a crowd with that proportion of, in terms of gender or ethnicity, for example. And then you could have this AI create that for you with a a large variety of uh, characters in the crowd. That could be an example. The second example or the second ways uh, where AI can uh, help create video games it's to create more believable worlds. what, what do I mean by that? Um, th- there's a lot of limitation when you create uh, um, virtual environments. Uh, for example, if you are an avatar and you are going in a room from point a to point B, you will probably will you, you'll probably jump over a table right? Mm -hmm. You won't go around the table. However, if you um, notice what NPCs are doing, so all the non-playable characters, most of the time, they're not able to jump over a table. Mm -hmm. There's a reason for that. It's called uh, a navigation mesh or nav mesh. It's a 2D plan on which the NPCs, so the non-playable characters, try to find their way to go through from point A to point Z. So that's the kind of small details. And that's where, for example, um, AI can also help by providing those NPCs with capacities that are more believable in the way, for example, when they navigate uh, in the world. And that's the part of the um, uh, important uh, project we've been working on for the last two years, trying to make sure that our NPC or characters would be able to navigate the world exactly like a normal character or players would do. So that's creating more believable worlds. And finally, um, there's also this dimension of obviously the AI directly participating to the um, the players' experience. For example, uh, it's when um, you're able to find either features to make sure that Uh, I don't know, the difficulty within the game will be adapted for uh, any player. Uh, It's um, accessibility features, for example, when text-to-speech is able to read uh, aloud uh, the uh, menus, for example, for people who are visually impaired. That's another example. Or uh, when you have to uh, make sure that um, the, 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 the games, are safe places for everybody. For example, making sure that you're able to identify within the chats uh, if you know something goes wrong or if some people are starting to become toxic. For example, mm-hmm. you want to identify that extremely fast and right away. So that's when, for example, the AI is directly linked to the uh, players' experience.
0: So I want, to, I want to get into uh, another aspect of AI because we were talking about creating characters. We were talking about having crowds that were, for instance, of uh, you know sh- sorted by by gender, by ethnicity. That's obviously something that goes into the story, that goes into the game design. One of the challenges of AI is is bias. We know that in um, in the broad application of it, it can be gendered, it can be racialized, and so on. And presumably AI is constrained by the biases and the assumptions of those who create the technology and, and apply it. So, you know, what does an equitable and inclusive AI that's reflective of the communities who use the, the technology and are shaped by it look like? I mean, how do you ensure that that's the AI you get and not something that's that's meant to be for everyone, but actually serves a small number of people?
1: It's a very tough question because most of the time it depends on the uh application of uh, of ai and to me the um although there's been a lot of um of um, of discussions around the uh, inclusion and, and diversity uh lately in, in general and a lot fueled by uh, some uh, issues that people found with uh, machine learning in reality it's not a new topic yeah? and mm-hmm. it's way more in the way you use technology, basically, the way you apply that, and more of uh, being self-aware of what you're doing, putting always a human at the center. Let let me give you two very brief examples. The first one is an example where uh, it was, I think five years ago, uh, we had um, an interesting prototype at La Forge called the Commit Assistant. And the Commit Assistant was a module that assist programmers. And the idea is pretty simple um, based on our history of creating code and uh, creating bugs and solving bugs. Um, when a programmer was about to add new code to the game, then you would have this AI being able to predict if the programmer was about to include a bug. And it was working fairly well, meaning that, who were able with such a system to catch almost eighty-five percent of the bugs upfront, without having even the code being reaching um, the uh, the game. So we were very proud of that. However, that that was in the lab, so we were prototyping that. But we noticed that to achieve that result the AI was using extra information, not only the code and the bugs, but also information about the programmer. So at what time the commit was made or what is the experience of the programmer and even could infer the gender of the programmer. So obviously, At that time, systems that could make AI more explainable were were not that mature uh, five years ago. It goes extremely fast. But because we we were conscious of that, we decided to remove all these data from the system itself. So that's our AI, when put into production, would only use the data from the code itself, the the programming code and the history of bugs and everything and all of that, but we would remove any type of information that would be linked to individuals just because we were not comfortable with the fact that potentially, even though it was not proven, even though it it was just us saying that, potentially the AI could um, evaluate or people, whether, so it's if it's a programmer that's who is this old with this gender and all that, then there's a high risk. We're not comfortable with that. So we removed all uh, this information. And uh, from 85%, we went back to 75%, which we uh, eventually improved over time. So that's the uh, first example. Sometimes the right way of dealing with that is simply to remove any type of information, as simple as that. The other example I have in mind is a pretty recent one. Uh, we have a, a project called ToxBuster, uh, which aim to analyze chat lines and um, spot, hopefully, in real time, uh, if there are some toxic lines. And it's a very complex problem because it depends a lot on the context. For example, if we're playing a, a, a shooter like Rainbow Six, maybe we're playing together. And if I at some point I'm writing, hey, warning, I'm going to kill you. It yeah. might be, in the context of the game, yeah. totally acceptable. But you know, in other contexts, it might be extremely toxic. So how do you make a difference? So we have created uh, a, a project uh, around that. But uh, the, the first step for us was to try to determine what is toxic and who decides that something is, is toxic. So what we did was that we um we gathered together um many experienced players uh from from ubisoft games and um we wanted to make sure that we would have a diverse crowd to ask them hey do you want to help us to uh, solve this problem and um you tell us uh, what are the lines in chats that uh, you think are uh, toxic, depending on the context and all of that. So we did all this exercise with uh, a variety of people in terms of gender, ethnicity, background, name it, to make sure that the, what we call the data set. So by the end of the day, the examples that show what is toxic um, and in, in which sense it's toxic, Uh, was the input uh, was coming from a a diverse crowd uh, and that they would tell us what they think is toxic by the end of the day. And Mm -hmm. uh, the the fact is that by the same token, surprisingly, there were not that many differences in terms of perception uh, between the different people and between the different backgrounds. Most of the time, it was somehow common sense. Well, obviously we're trying to catch the, uh, the edgy uh, issues that can be very uh, cultural and, and everything. But then once again, for this project, we went further in terms of bias because sometimes um, uh, same thing, a, an AI could potentially infer some cultural characteristic from chats and then starts to bias itself towards certain type of people or certain type of culture or certain type of languages also. So we have set up a new project that is actually starting as we speak just to um, try to quantify uh, this bias um, and, and try to see if if there's a quantifiable Uh, bias and if there is, um, making sure that we can uh, circumvent that.
0: So uh, I want to get into social media and AI in a minute because I want to talk about some other applications for it, but I want to get into uh, uh, an area that I think flows naturally from this conversation, which is AI as a technology more generally. How do we assure that it's used ethically for the public good? And what those boundaries ought to be. So, um, you know, for instance, you know, the video game industry is shapes culture. It's a remarkably powerful industry in which a lot of people are socialized, and uh, and so hence, paying attention to questions of of equity and inclusion are important because it's going to reflect communities, it's going to shape communities, it's going to f- affect how we talk and what we talk about. Um, but of course, there's far far more to to that too. I mean, in other industries, defense, policing, so on. But how do we collectively limit the potential abuse of AI? For instance, you know, think about unwanted surveillance or tracking in our personal mm-hmm. professional lives, the creation of certain weapons and so on. As a, as a philosophical question of how do we collectively say, okay, there, here are, here are the things that we just simply shouldn't do or shouldn't do this way. Is it up to just relying on, on engineers to make good decisions? Is there a role for the public? How do, how do we get that done?
1: It's a very, very a complex question. Um, well, first, uh, I should say I'm, I'm not a specialist of uh, ethical question. However, um, uh, I regularly talk with the people from the Obvia here in Quebec, who are a um, bunch of researchers who are you know trying to shape AI for the greater good. And so you have uh, people with a legal background, People with um, philosophical background, uh, social science background, and all together are targeting those very important questions. So we um, very often um, discuss with them. I would say that the um, the most important part is transparency. Um, We are not well. We're not perfect, neither as human or as corporation. Um, But if we transparent in what we're doing and why we're doing things. I think it helps a lot. So collectively, as individuals, uh, I would think that the, the first, the first power that we have, is to make sure that we raise this need for transparency to any AI usage, uh, and that by the end of the day, uh, we do not use products or services that uh, are not uh, transparent uh, enough uh, with our own uh, core values, for example. But to me, transparency is extremely um, important
0: yeah, and we hear about that a lot in another area when we talk about, say, social media algorithms, for instance, of what's boosted, what's not boosted, uh, where we we don't have algorithmic transparency, for instance, we simply don't know. and a lot of times those companies are are opaque. So I think that's extraordinarily important. the idea that we uh, that we do have transparency and we do have a dialogue. And presumably, I mean, as as a company, for instance, um you have mentioned that you're talking to communities, you' mentioned in the context of 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 harmful chats. Is there a broader conversation happening about um about AI with the with the public? Is this something that or or is this a is it primarily with academics that you're speaking about this stuff?
1: No, we're talking about the public. I mean, you cannot be transparent uh, in, in silos. So we're trying to reach out to as many people as we can and. Uh, many ways to do that. We uh, we have our own uh, blog for people who would be enthusiasts. Uh, we had uh, recently uh, released our own podcast where we explain all of that, and that's accessible to everybody. Obviously, we discuss with re- researchers when uh, we try to find um, um, you know w- solutions methods uh, to make sure that. Uh, we um, we are doing things the right way uh, and, and we don't know everything and nobody does. That, that's the difficulty. Let's keep in mind that although the, the principle of machine learning um, ties to the 60s and 80s, but the real first concrete uh, results are 10 years old uh, in mm-hmm. terms of application. So uh, it's more mature in terms of technology than it is in terms of uh, usage and and uh, regulation and all of that. So, uh, yeah, we're talking to many people. When we talk to, in terms of of toxicity, online toxicity, for example, the people we talk to are players and we're totally transparent with them on the kind of thing that we're trying to do and when we need their input in terms of data as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. We try to be as transparent as we can in terms of uh, uh, player data usage, for example, and anybody can opt out of that. GDPR compliance, for example. So all of that are small steps uh, that we can do to try to explain uh, as as clearly as we can um, and uh, as much as we can uh, some technical decisions and, more importantly, their implication uh, when we have to do so. You might have noticed that, for example, um, Earlier I mentioned that one application of artificial intelligence in is in creators assistance. Assistance. Um, it, I did not mention creation uh, assistance. And that's to me extremely uh, important to make this kind of distinction. Putting the human, the people at the center, um, the, the final user at the center, and then trying to be as tr- transparent uh, as possible with them just to make sure that um you know we work not for them we do not create solution for them but somehow with them mm-hmm.
0: i want to close out on talking a little bit about uh, ai more more broadly uh, you know we mentioned some some potential applications beyond beyond video games and obviously there's a conversation between the gaming industry and other industries and vice versa i mean these technologies presumably are, are crossing over i'm curious when we look beyond the gaming industry where do we see the future of ai applicability and in, in useful ways i mean you know social media for instance in 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 helping control social media discourse is it going to be in in travel in in automobiles in uh, well obviously policing and war but it's hard, you know, harder to see how that might be productive. But maybe it is. Uh, where is it going to be that we see day to day this technology really flourish and and condition our lives in in useful ways, or is it everywhere? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. Well, uh, I I would see two tracks, uh, and, and then it all depends on so many um so, so many things. I see two tracks. The first one is everything that is. In terms of automation think about testing for example uh when you want to uh test whether it's in terms of manufacture uh or or, or computer science programming uh, there's still a lot of improvements uh to do there and to automate uh, a lot of things so um you know trying to um detect defect for example in in, in manufacture or or um, well yeah, any type of of toolings. Um, if you think about manufacturer defect detection, for example, or even healthcare, um, analyzing um, tons of data and bio data just to make sure that uh, you know it helps doctors to uh, provide with um, the, the right conclusion on uh, about patients' conditions. So that will be. Um we'll see more and more added value um, beyond this mere demonstration of technology. Uh, that's definitely a, an important area. Another area is um accessibility, uh, I would say. Um, and accessibility in a in a broad way. Um, I don't know if you play music, for example, I do. Um, I don't know if you are an artist, and I don't know if. Uh, maybe there are things that you would love to do like better drawing or uh, express yourself in terms of, I don't know, in an artistic way. And maybe you don't have all the skills to do that. And believe me, I I cannot draw, for example, I would love (laughs) to be able to to, to draw. Um, And probably uh, AI will facilitate more and more accessibility to this type of creation, the the, uh, more and more um, people want to be creators. Uh, I think that's uh, a strong characteristic of the uh, Gen Z people. They they want to express themselves. They want to be creator. And as such, AI is an enabler, whether it's to edit videos, whether it's to automate uh, the edition of podcasts, whether it's to uh, help Um, you know, visualize IDs or help you to draw something or be able to uh, figure out the uh, design of my uh, home, for example, Um, having tools helping me on that would be very valuable. So I think that more and more we'll see also this tendency. Um, On the one hand, for expert people, more and more automation, uh, like testing, uh, defect detection, um, advanced uh, analysis tools, and on the other hand, more accessibility for everybody uh, and amateurs and, and people who are not uh, experts in uh, any domain. Uh, that would be the two huge tendency I would uh, foresee for the last, the next five years somehow.
0: Okay, and the last question, are you allowed to tell me what your what you're playing right now? Is it something secret or is it just something normal, like something I'd be? <laughs> or is it is, is it Assassin's Creed or something?
1: Well, I'm not an avid gamer. Actually, I, I'm playing a lot to uh, try to uh, understand what's uh, uh, under the the hood. Um, I must say that um, I, I'm going back to some. Um, to some, uh, to some games. I-, I love the Bioshock, for example. Oh, yes. Um, And uh, so I- I'm playing, uh, I have played Bioshock during uh, my vacation. Uh, just th- this immersive environment. So uh, I-, I love that. I rediscovered uh, also uh, the um, Command and Conquer 3.
0: Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, that's a great, uh, the remastered one? Was this the...
1: The remastered one, yes, yeah, totally. Of uh, so I redis- rediscovered that, and on top of uh, you know uh, trying to uh, to uh, you know get up to speed with all the uh, amazing uh, experiences uh, that you can find. Another one that I found uh, very interesting is uh, uh, Rebel Inc on iPad. I don't know if you know uh, that one in terms of strategy. It's also a uh, uh, very interesting. And obviously, uh, I play uh, uh, Ubisoft games a lot just to make sure that um, I'm able to to be up-to-date on the kind of innovation that we can uh, propose at, uh, at La Forge.
0: Oh, that's the dream. Well, that brings us to time and, and to the career that I would have pursued had I gone a different direction in life. But alas, I'm just an amateur, an amateur, but... <laughs> an avid amateur i do love it so first of all thank you very much for joining me today and speaking about this this is, was great i really appreciate it
1: my pleasure debbie
0: and as always thanks to carolyn smith ross clark and aisha jera who make the show not just possible but so much better than it would be without them and to all of you listening i hope you've got a game in hand don't feel bad for gaming in the summer you need downtime from outside too we'll see you back here in two weeks